You're listening to Kill Tank Radio, a 2CR production. I'm Sergeant Mark Bruno from 2-2 Headhunter Troop. As always, feel free to reach out if you have a topic suggestion, feedback, or if you'd like to be on the show. We understand that some of our listeners might be hesitant when it comes to seeking out help for their mental health or looking into how to actually get behavioral health services. What we hope to do with today's panel discussion is to not only break down that process, but show you that it's okay, show you that they are available, and show you that regardless of the obstacles, you aren't alone. There are people on your side, and that there is a process and there is a structure in place to help you. You shouldn't have to fear any repercussions for your decision to do the right thing for yourself, for your mental health, and for the people around you. I strongly urge you to listen to this podcast, to give the next 10 minutes a shot and just hear what our guests have to say about these topics and about what they went through when they had to seek out help for their mental health. On November 2020, the Sergeant Major of the Army stated on Twitter that we should unambiguously not judge soldiers for pursuing anything regarding mental or behavioral health. Will someone's chain of command retaliate against them if they seek help? My name is First Sergeant Phillip. I'm the First Sergeant at 32HHT. The answer will be basically no. No chain of command will do that. If that happens, it has so much different levels that soldier can go. So I can state for my unit, my organization, that would happen. So my name is Chaplain Major James Ward, the regimental chaplain for 2CR. I would strongly just simply offer that a command would really want soldiers to get the help that they need. It's a much better option for a soldier to choose to take care of themselves. That's really just a powerful demonstration that a soldier is able, capable of taking care of their own issues, their own problems, seeking the help that they need, which is much preferable to a commander having to take care of that. So I just find it regularly that command teams much prefer and would honor a soldier who seeks help for themselves. I'm Captain Denise Jones. I'm at the Vilsack Health Clinic and I'm a behavioral health clinician. I believe that a chain of command would respond in the best way that they know is needed at that time. And I believe that due to maybe inexperience or lack of knowledge, that response could be perceived as retaliation. That has happened before. I don't believe that it's intentional. And I'm grateful to have this opportunity. And I think this podcast is very much needed to share that education so that commands can have a clearer response that is clearly supportive and unable to be misconstrued as retaliation. Ma'am, just based off what you said, what resources are available to somebody or what action could a soldier take if they felt that there was retaliation? It'd be the same action that a soldier would take with any concern with their chain of command. It'd be, it'd be through those same channels. So it could be through their NCO channel, higher chain of command, and there are outside agencies if it gets to that level. But again, I do think if it was to get to that level, it would be because of a, a misunderstanding and miscommunication and the best course of action would would be to address that directly. For Sergeant Philip, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I agree with ma'am. If that happened, like she said, it'll be any open door policy. That soldier can go to his first line supervisor and then to higher chain of command at the end of the day. I think a good resource, if it does happen, is go straight to the chaplain because then the chaplain can negotiate the misinformation because it could just be the soldiers interpreting something the wrong way or the chain of command is putting out the wrong information and that chaplain now can piece that together and basically help that soldier find the help he needs and then educate the chain of command. Major Ward, have you ever had any experience with this or what do you think a soldier could do? 
they perceive that they're, for some reason, their story's not being honored. There are repercussions. It is part of what I think we do as chaplains to be able to help that story um, be conveyed to a commander in an anonymous kind of way to make sure that we protect the service member's confidentiality, but also indicate that there are concerns, especially if there's a trend that they're not being heard. We have the opportunity to be to be able to do that. So I simply offered in those terms. That's what a chaplain does. I also think that soldiers, they do have open door policies and ways. It's important for them to be able to vocalize their story, to be empowered to tell their story, to, to make sure that if they have concerns, that those are offered up. So kind of moving on to more generally here, the National Alliance on Mental Illness cites that depression, PTSD, and other anxiety disorders, as well as substance abuse, are some of the most pronounced and obvious behavioral and mental health issues in the armed forces today. And my first question on that note was for you, Captain Jones, what are the most common issues you encounter at the Behavioral Health Office? Adjustment. What do you mean by adjustment? Adjusting to the military lifestyle, adjusting to marriage, adjusting to returning from a deployment. And with that, you may see an increase in anxiety-related symptoms, see an increase in depressive symptoms. But a lot of what's bringing people in the door tends to be related to some type of adjustment to something. Adapting to change? Correct, yeah. Okay. First Sergeant Philip, have you had any experience? Because I know we had talked before about how well you feel you've adjusted to life out here in Mm -hmm. Germany, for instance. And I was wondering if you had any advice to anybody who might be going through something a little harsher. I'll base this on myself. Quick story, like being here, got divorced and was living in Germany. Big adjustment. Mm. And I went through a bad standard depression where that change happened so quickly that you lose yourself a little bit. And all I can say is that you need to seek help. As leaders or as soldiers, you think that you can handle everything by yourself. And I was a, I would say a non-believer about behavior health or the stigma of behavior health when I came in the military that it you know is you know if it go to be of hell people don't think you're weak and stuff and i can say for myself that is such a misconception at the end of the day because by going to be of hell by helping me be able to relate to soldiers now where i can instead of being that first sergeant who is like hey you gotta figure it out suck it up now i can be able to look at that soldier and say hey man you need help you know you need to take the time and go and seek help because sometimes that's what you need to do go and find help seek help because i'm not a professional but i know that people out there who can help guide and better give them coping mechanisms. Now, first of all, you said that you had ideas about behavioral health or stigma about mm-hmm. behavioral health. Does any of this happen to come from the old army and believing that if you ask for help, you might be considered weak? Yes. When I came in 2006, it was deployment where everybody had this perception, hey, you got to be alpha male and, you know, you got to suck it up. And, you know, if you're in the infantry, you got to be hard charging. And in some parts, yes, some things you got to deal with really quickly and deal with trauma and deal with bad stuff happening. But at the end of the day, you need help and it took me a little while to be that guy to seek help for myself now i can say the military has transitions from that but just like anything it takes time i think it has some people who still have that stigma to believe mm. internally they feel it's like that still internally not say it's that's not a norm but, but they've internalized it that, in a way that, that hey, they judge that, themselves yes so i think that's something with people like myself the captain says that's just that's basically changed the norm for a while because i can say that was the norm for myself even going to be able i was nervous i was hiding to walk to behavioral health because I mm. felt like, hey, somebody gonna see first sergeant. Shoot, what are they gonna think about me? Mm. So I just remember the first time I went to behavioral health. I was planning I'm gonna be there real early in the morning so nobody can see me. <laughs> get you could be low key about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. People was talking to me. I was hiding in the corner because I internally had that stigma. Not because it was the norm. It was just me through when I came in the military and I thought was 
you can't as a person you gotta hide that and keep it a secret roger first song yeah. uh chaplain major ward how long have you been a unit chap in some capacity i'm in my 13th year so in some ways it feels like it was yesterday and then some other ways it feels like i've done this a day or two experienced a few things in the army that i never would have experienced outside gotcha sir the reason why i ask that is have you seen in those 13 years as a chaplain the approach change or have you seen the culture shift in some way and have your own practices adjusted from kind of the stereotypical like old army you know i don't know that i would have ever thought of myself as old army but that is self-understanding that i'm that i'm having to come to and maybe because i great appreciate the word adaptation. I have had to learn and adapt to learning to process some of my own experiences, some of my own encounters, because chaplains, we get to hear a lot of the adventures of people's lives. And, and I just use the word adventure for lack of a better term. People live complex lives and they have complex experiences. And some of the things that they have survived or overcome, or they're trying to think their way through, we in some way take a little bit of that on ourselves and have to figure out how to work it through. And for me, some of the best opportunities that the Army has afforded to me have been times when I sit down with other chaplains. And almost as a requirement for that training, I had to learn to process through and talk about my own experiences, my own stories, so that I can help somebody else tell their story and work through that and be reflective on how they've experienced it and the impact that that's had. I don't think that's what I came in the Army doing. That has been something that the Army has truly afforded me the opportunity to shift and adjust and to grow. Sometimes we think that we're chaplain fix it and we try to fix human beings and human beings don't need us to fix them. They need us to hear them and help them and care about them. And the Army has changed the way that I have conversations so that I hear people better. Captain Jones, have you seen a shift in, in your time or have you been trained to do things differently than maybe they were done in the past? The time that I've been in the Army, the, the shift has happened. So as it's transitioned, there would be individuals like First Sergeant or Chaplain Ward, you know, who would reference the old times, if you will, before I came in. But the key terms that are coming to mind as everyone's speaking is resiliency. Mm. That's what has transitioned. Resiliency was looked at as a certain way. And now it's more understood that resiliency is not an individual thing. It's not how far how long, how tough you can go on your own. It's about knowing when to ask for help when needed and to actually get that help. So the resiliency has been redefined. In the DOD annual suicide report, it had mentioned that they were anticipating the impacts that the pandemic might have on behavioral health and psychological health within the Army. And I was wondering, from your position, how you've seen the pandemic possibly generate an uptick or have you seen any issues more than you did in the past? Yes, and, and that was forecast, I'd say, at the beginning of the pandemic, early 2020 and moving forward. So we've just been waiting and watching for the numbers to come. Um, and, and what we found is that everyone is different. Some people have experienced a lot of growth from the pandemic. They've been more grateful for the relationships they do have because oh, we can't go out as much. So uh, they've been more grateful in that sense. Um, during some of the periods of lockdown, families have gotten closer.
closer because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> so, um, but then on, on the other end, yes, we have seen unhealthy adjustment to it, just not having an outlet and stressors being bottled up and people feeling disconnected. So it's gone both ways. Hmm. Uh, first, Arne, do you have any experiences that might speak to that? I was going to add what she's saying because of the pandemic. A lot of my soldiers being locked down, it's like, that's what they see it as like, hey, I can't go nowhere. Outlets are not there anymore. So it's like, hey, what do I do? But then on the same aspect, like man was saying, the resiliency of finding things to do where some of my soldiers pick up doing colleges. You know, some soldiers mm. found things around the area that they never knew about because it have nothing to do. Some people build really great friendship. But at the same time, like like ma'am saying, it's that transitioning and trying to figure out where these new soldiers, the biggest uptake I found was from my new soldiers, the new first termers coming in when COVID happened and not being around their family and the adaptation of they have no friends, they're new to area and on top of the COVID and I'm telling you don't go out, stay in your barracks room, wear a mask. That became those are the soldiers I kind of spent more time paying attention to and I'm saying the high risk or nothing but that's yeah. focusing on them because those new termers were the soldiers I worried about because sad to say some of the soldiers who've been in the army long enough know to adapt a little better versus the new termers. So. Yeah I mean I know I had some time to get to know people, to get to know the country before any of that happened. Mm. So I just, I would presume not to judge somebody who came in and was just having a hard time of it. Mm. Chaplain Ward, do you have anything to say to this? I was thinking as, as the others were speaking, a primary question that I'm going to have, who isolates themselves? Some of us are, we're, we're very introverted. So some of us need our personal space and we need to give people the freedom to be able to have that. However, if somebody, if their behavior pattern is that they're, they're simply almost excluding themselves from gathered places, that, that raises a concern for me. Is, is that of their own choosing? Is that their personality type? Or is that just a function of the fact that they're not integrated fully just yet? And that raises a significant concern for me. And I would almost have to truly would tip my hat to, to NCOs in particular who create these communities. Um, I, I've been in environments where somebody would ask, well, where's this person going for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or you know, whatever the holiday is, or a four-day week and they're almost without exception, there's going to be some NCO named that they're going to show up at Sergeant somebody's house yeah. mm -hmm. and collect together. And for those moments, they have that engagement, they have that interaction where somebody is able to have a conversation and they, they're reaffirmed in their own sense of meaning in that communal context. I'm a fan of the fact that human beings are getting together and interacting with one another. And I find that sense of community to be very healing for people. Yeah, I mean, being able to identify kind of when does a soldier's introversion, when is that actually isolation? Something I learned, and this was something I call it a three by five card. And every four day, last day of duty day was the five W's, who, when, where. And basically the squad leader collected it, then the platoon sergeant collected it. And the reason we were doing that was to basically have that pattern to say, okay, this soldier is saying he's staying in the barracks every weekend. So that was like a way now that sergeant could now open that communication, that dialogue and say, hey man, why are you staying in the barracks every weekend? Because last week you stayed in the barracks, the week before you stayed in the barracks, what's up? And if he's an introvert, you know, that kind of builds that dialogue. So there's some tricks of the trade that I think these junior leaders need to pick up. 
Captain Jones, I wanted to ask, when somebody does isolate themselves, what are some of the things that might happen to someone who does isolate themselves a little too much? What might not be so obvious? I'm going to go back to what First Sergeant said about talking with those soldiers and knowing those soldiers. Because the thing about isolation is, what are you doing with that time? Hmm. So some of us, like Chaplin said, are introverted. We recharge by having some space. And then some yeah. of us are extroverted. We like to be around people. So as long as someone is still healthy and well-rounded, it's totally fine if they are just a homebody. But what are they doing with that time? What are they thinking? And and there is a point where it goes from isolation or, or I'll say just quality alone time to just downright isolation. And you're only going to get that by knowing that soldier's personality. Yeah, so there's not there's not a set if you see them doing X, Y, Z. It's not that black and white. You have to know that individual. I mean, I know there are some red flags and I know this isn't quite the same thing, but could you state what some of those explicit red flags might be? Okay. Say someone's isolating themselves and they're on social media and they're just scrolling and scrolling and they're thinking about what they used to have, what they can't do, starting to maybe be more agitated when they're around people. That might be a sign. Substance use is a sign. Is is that a is that a coping mechanism? Is that a need or is it just something to do so those are some flags i will say i have seen soldiers like isolation if i gotta say a red flag is a soldier who's really mild mannered before and then very aggressive like snapping at anybody like it's going off so those are things and but it comes back to knowing your soldier it comes back to knowing that individual knowing a group of individuals is the baseline off now yeah I don't know that it would be an observation so much as it would be maybe a, a, a request for folks like myself or, or anyone who would just ask themselves, if somebody's asking some questions about maybe who you hang out with or are you hanging out with somebody, there are times when we get a little bit protective and maybe a little bit defensive that we're wondering the cynic in us says why are you asking me questions like that and we don't pause to remember it could well be that that NCO who's asking me or that officer who's asking me those questions either they genuinely do care or they really want to care because that's part of their responsibility. In light of all that I guess what I'd want to ask is for the service member that thinks they're doing fine thinks that maybe we're talking about mental health a little too much, or maybe things are getting a little too sensitive. What do you have to say to that soldier? I'll start with you first, Arn. That's gonna be deep for me. Reason being, when I was going through my own mental health issue, a lot of things went through my mind. I went from being outgoing to the introvert guy, drinking in the barracks room, in my room, and everything everybody's saying, but nobody knew, you know, because as leaders, as senior leaders, everybody kind of stick to themselves. It took one day that my commander saw me in my coming to the office and closing my door. And he said, hey, First Sergeant, what's going on? So I'm going through something. He came in and we had a conversation. But the funny thing, prior to that week, I thought about some really messed up stuff in my head, like really messed up. That's how low I was, like mm. really, really, really low. And I will tell any soldier that seek help because that was scary for me. It was scary, scary because I was like, hey man, I don't want to be here anymore. And I was just done, just done, done with life, done with 
anything and I tell somebody, yes, I knew where to get help, but I didn't care to get help. But you have to. You have to make that first step. And the first step for me was if somebody asked me a question, hey, first sergeant, you okay? And I just open up. If you got that soldier right now listening, is like, hey, man, go and get help, you know, because you're not alone. I found that out. You're not alone. Tons of people with your rank, less rank, going through the same thing you're going through every day. So seek help and nobody's going to judge you. Nobody judged me. I'm still a first sergeant. You know what I'm, I'm still in charge of my company. Nobody came and said, hey, first sergeant, you're going to be for health. You need to step down. So I tell soldiers my story. I don't hold this back. I don't hide that because if I can do it, I want that soldier to see, hey, my first sergeant is going to be for health. So he's still a first sergeant. He's still hard charging. Nothing changed. What I have built is resiliency. I have built a lot of resiliency. Captain Jones. There's two ways to look at that. One is we want to strive to be the best person we can be. And if we see ourselves as a whole person, physical, nutrition, mental, intellectual, we want to keep learning intellectually. We want to keep working out, doing PRT to be physically fit. We want to keep doing what we need to do to be mentally fit. It's as simple as that. I, I would say to that person, until we as an organization, as the army are mentally fit across the board and can communicate that and until it's as normalized as PT, then I, I think it's worth having that conversation. The second part of that is to, you never know who you're going to come across. So even if this is not the most beneficial or the, the most necessary thing for you, you want to put yourself in a position to be that for someone else. Mm. So that's how I see it. And Chaplain Ward, did you have anything you'd like to say to that? <laughs> I would just simply offer to someone who who's listening, if you're asking that question on, is this conversation for me, then I would invite you to just be honest about that, to engage the question and just consider for yourself, is it for you? And at least be willing to embrace that questioning, to just explore that for yourself, to be self-aware. And if it's not directly of impact for you, then Captain Jones already highlighted this, then be helpful to the person next to you, be available to that person because it may be valuable for them. And that helps us to be better people along the way. Helps us to be better soldiers, but it really helps us to be better human beings. Got it, sir. On that note, I understand, you know, we're in the army, you know, we're expected to, to be resilient, to be tough, but how does somebody kind of distinguish between those moments when it's okay to be vulnerable, when so much of the atmosphere and the environment you're put in demands you to not be vulnerable? It can be achieved from two ends. So one is going to be internally. Someone's really going to have to just decide, I'm going to be authentic. I'm not going to shelter people from from myself, I'm going to be honest and that makes me true to myself. And that's more important than how I'm perceived. So one side of it is going to be internally. The external side is we as in the community creating a safe space. So whenever someone sees themselves going that way, they are the environment is already set that they can be honest. So it's not enough to just someone's down and then all of a sudden everyone shows up and everyone's there. If we haven't been setting the tone beforehand, if we're not being vulnerable as leaders, if we're not being receptive when others are being vulnerable, then we will perpetuate the stigma. If we take it on the other end and we allow people to just be open and again, reconceptualize resilience it's not an individual thing. It's a team effort. It's multifaceted. That's something that could help us in that plight. I'm hearing a lot of common threads about 
community support and taking care of each other in general, that being a very valuable part of a soldier in pretty much every capacity. Now, as far as more specifically regarding community support, there are a bunch of resources that I know are available to us here in Rosebergs. I've taken advantage of several of them, but I was wondering if you wanted to maybe walk us through an onboarding process and then other options that are presented to somebody when they walk into behavioral health or when they have an issue. Yes, there's many options before you even get to the door. So one that I want to highlight is the military and family life consultant. These are trained professionals who work with the military, but they don't fall directly under the clinic. They do not keep clinical notes and they have 100% confidentiality with the exception of safety. If it's a safety issue, they will have to report that. They're a resource if someone maybe wants to talk to someone who's not in uniform. If someone wants to talk with someone with a different perspective, that could be an option. And then and the next level or tier, if you will, would be the behavioral health consultant. So this is someone who does fall under the clinic, but they're in primary care. So again, we're not even at the door of behavioral health yet, yeah. but we're still getting behavioral health services. So they're with primary care. You can just walk up and book an appointment. Again, a licensed clinician, they're going to work with you. It's shorter. It's going to be four sessions. And then at four, they're going to have to either transfer you to someone in behavioral health, or you'll have to address another issue with them. The next level, if you will, will be the behavioral health clinic. On the second floor of the Vilsack Health Clinic, um, again, trained clinician, trained professional. They do not have to have communication with your commander. They do not have to report that you're coming in just because you have an appointment. The things that we would report would be the same as those other entities if there's a safety concern. Those are some of the, the resources. We also have the family advocacy program. Sometimes when we hear about that, we tend to think of the intervention side of where there's an issue, but the family advocacy also has a prevention side and they're an excellent resource for family counseling and marital counseling. There's a lot of resources. And then of course, right in your unit, you have your chaplain, your UMT, your unit ministry team is gonna be absolutely paramount. They're on the ground with you. They're in the unit, so they have an idea of your unit needs and your op tempo. And then also your behavioral health officers who are embedded in your units and on the ground with you as well. We have a resource sheet. If you go to the Behavioral Health Clinic, you can just ask for the sheet and we can give it to you and, and walk you through which one's best for you. And first, Sergeant Philip, when you went through your behavioral health process, like what was your first impression when you walked in the door? Like what actually you made the decision, you decided or somebody had encouraged you to finally walk through that door. What exactly happened from your perspective? In the beginning, the first day, I was like a little upset. It was just me being upset and embarrassed. I think it had nothing to do with behavior health. It was just me being a first sergeant, like, hey, I needed help now. So so that was that. But I can say the biggest thing was the professionalism, where as a first sergeant, I knew that it was always told to me, hey, first sergeant, this conversation is going to be held between us. If you want me to tell somebody, I can tell somebody. And I felt comfortable with everybody who was there. Now, using me as a leader because leaders, are, it's so hard for us to go and seek help. Going there and hearing somebody say, hey, first sergeant, I got you. You know, I understand where you're coming from. I know, we, you know, if your job is to take care of the soldiers who's looking out for you. So I felt like somebody was looking out for me the same way I look out for my soldiers, if that make any sense. So I felt good where, you know, the 
same thing with the, the sheets. They broke it down for me, you know, Barney style, Levin Bravo style, basically. <laughs> um, so it helped me. But I will say I felt taken care of. I felt like, hey, nobody was judging me for being that leader or coming for help. And I think that's the key, like being able to go into someone that nobody knows you and somebody make you feel comfortable to share your story or not to share the story at the same time. Because it had times when I got there, my counselor was like, hey, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. And it made me kind of want to talk about it because I know I don't know if it was a mind game she was playing with me, but I feel like <laughs> but she made me feel comfortable. And I'm I joke about it every time, but it's really going there and people being professional. You feel like somebody's taking care of you, and you can drop your guard down and not worry about taking care of soldiers. Now you got somebody looking up for you. So I feel like that was good for me. That was perfect for me. Appreciate that for a second. I want to move on to the topic of mental hygiene because we've all been through MRT slideshows, you know, the on the good stuff, dig deep, find your why. None of that is bad advice. A lot of it is solid advice if you find a way to apply it to your situation. But sometimes it becomes static to soldiers. It's just noise because they feel like they hear it so much. But Captain Jones, we're here, wintertime in Germany. It's dark. You got soldiers that have never left their parents' house. Like what kinds of things would they need to do? to maybe keep themselves a little more in the game. Hobbies, healthy, new hobbies. Maybe you have some that did stateside, but because of whatever reason, it's been hard to implement here. I know we've come across that a lot. People say, no, I used to do this, but I can't do that here for whatever reason. So being open to new hobbies. Do you have any healthy hobbies yourself, ma'am? So I like to color. I like coloring. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I like coloring. I like writing. So journals and poems. I like reading, watching movies and listening to podcasts and and things like this and being with my family those are some of the things I do and I notice the change in my mood when I'm not doing those and then Mm. I have to ask myself okay when's the last time you colored if I feel like I'm bottled up like okay when's the last time you wrote in your diary or wrote a poem just to get it out first one do you feel like you have any specific practices or hobbies you engage with to kind of keep yourself together honestly my hobby is cooking I like Mm -hmm. cooking and listening jazz music awesome I don't know why. It's just something I picked up. Jazz and cooking works for me. Don't know why. But I like cooking. I like getting away. That's my me time. Find something that makes you happy. Go after it. And the cool thing about stuff, you can always change your mind. I was thinking of two things real quick. So one's a hobby. I love to build things with my hands just because I love to see what that becomes, that it's the process. Not a lot of things that we do, we can turn back around and look at it and say, I made that. So the sense of accomplishment. The other one is something like a podcast or a TED Talk. Listening to how people think through some of their own problems or encounters or just just things that they learned and what they did with that helps me to think through what I want to do with whatever it is that I'm encountering those of you who don't know, we actually started posting the topics on our regiment's social media accounts. We received several awesome questions that we'll posit here. And aside, next time we announce a topic, feel free to engage with it. Provide any feedback you want on our social media pages. First question, what changes do you think might need to be made to leadership in order to help support and encourage people seeking out behavioral health or mental health services? I hope at some point we as leaders can look at folks and say, when I got help, and make it okay. I just remember, it's been about nine years back in my 13 years of experience, and I remember a commander standing in front of his formation, and that commander looked at folks and said, when I got help, and it changed the tone of the room. 
because of that moment, it changed some of the way that I work with people by sometimes using ourselves in an appropriate way to say, you know what, when I got help, this is how it turned out for me. And telling our story, it makes it okay for others to get help too. I would say building relationships between leaders and behavior health. I think that will help with the stigma as well. Just sitting down and having conversations, anything to just bridge the gap between leadership and behavior health so that both entities can understand each other and then better service the soldier because that's what we're here for anyway. And the next question was, what if you feel depressed and don't know why? What would you say to this person? The first thing I would say is it's okay. And they may sound super soft, but really it's it's okay if you're not in the best mood right now. The next part was, and they don't know why. I would say talk with someone, talk with someone about it and ask yourself questions. How long have I been feeling this way? When did I notice the change? What other changes have happened that maybe I didn't realize had an impact? Sometimes we don't put two and two together. Oh, it's because of this new responsibility or it's because of this something that happened with my family. So ask yourself the hard questions, but be okay with however you're feeling at that time. We can't address it if we're not honest about it. And the next question was, what do you see being done to combat the increase in suicides in active duty soldiers? This. Yeah, this and just the Jagoon Strong time on Friday where the holistic fitness and having those hard conversations. I think the Army is doing a great job because, again, the old Army of the stigma it's starting to become the old army. And nobody's thinking about, hey, behavior health is a bad thing. More leaders, more soldiers are going to behavior health. Us as leaders, as soldiers, just need to keep doing it because this happening now can save one person. If it's if one person, you know, the two hours we've been here or the hour and a half we've been here, I'm okay with it because that's what we need to do. And I'd rather give up a couple of hours to save one person. And I think this is what the army doing. And anybody in this room and outside, engage and digging and find the information. And if you don't know the information, find someone to help accept that so don't leave that soldier. And I think the Army is making leaders understanding it's more than them now. It's the bigger picture, that soldier and yourself and the holistic fitness. I just think there's amazing opportunity in giving people permission to talk about suicide. Because if we're talking about it, chances are we're not acting on it. So where I tend to really want or encourage folks to think about just to challenge ourselves to invest in that conversation in whatever way we can really is the part of the Army that, that I think has changed the most is there has been a time when it was not okay to talk about it. And, and now, as I understand it, from the highest levels to, to boots on the ground, soldiers that are, that are working in the motor pool, somebody's made it okay for us encouraged us to have those conversations. And I would much rather have a conversation about it than to have to work through the process of helping somebody recover from the loss of a friend, a loved one, um, somebody in their unit. So I'm grateful. Without apology, there is space being made. It's still a work in process, but space is being made for us to talk about suicide. So this is a topic that inspires a lot of negativity in soldiers, but I think an important takeaway today is that the Army 
as a structure and as an institution is changing, is providing resources, and does earnestly seem to be having a cultural shift. But to kind of make it even more positive, I figured I'd ask if each of you might be able to share one mental health victory that might have helped you recently. I've come across numerous cases where someone came in. A lot of times it it may be because of suicidal ideations or it may be behavioral health stressors in general, but they've come in and they have said, I was scared to come. I didn't know what was going to happen. But when I came and my unit supported me and mm. they go into this list of the team leaders, the the first sergeant who didn't judge them, the commander who asked if they were OK and actually wanted to know if they were OK. They go into just this list of they didn't know they had that support. I've seen that on more than one occasion, various duty stations. I've seen that with 2CR. I've seen that across the board. And that's that's incredible. That's inspiring. Chaplain Ward. So I'm just thinking of a couple of examples just on the top of my head that where somebody has come in the office and said, I don't even know why I'm here or why I'm talking with somebody like you. And it it challenged me in this particular case to provide space and give somebody an opportunity to just kind of talk about what was what was going on. That's up to them. It's it's their choice. But we're responsible to at least create a room or a space or an environment where somebody can do that. And and there's there's no chaplain fairy dust. There's no <laughs> super magical mind games or, you know, connecting with your feelings. But just somebody who is able to tell their story. And that doesn't take a skill set. Although I may think that um you know, that's that's something that the army pays me to do. <laughs> that's a skill set that any of us have if we'll just take time to listen to, to somebody else and the value that that places on, on somebody that somebody stopped and listened. That's huge right there. And sometimes, it doesn't always happen, but there are times when that becomes almost a transformative moment when somebody can just say, I was heard and I got a chance to talk through it and I didn't figure anything out. They figured it out for themselves. All they needed was somebody to stop and listen. Provide the space. Yes. First of all, I'll use myself because a year ago, about a year ago, you know, from the suicide ideations and going to be health, having somewhere to go and someone to listen to me and not judge me and not look at me as First Sergeant Philip and look at me as McCarthy, call me by my first name helped because I can say I was in a bad place like mentally like you name it I was doing it didn't want to be an army anymore like I said in the beginning and through somebody that's sitting on and giving me coping mechanisms to deal with stresses and anxiety and all that stuff helped me and it's ongoing it's not like a first sergeant is not safe and so you know great but I'm better now where when I get into a bad place, it's a way to dig myself out. So I can say for myself in terms of like, if behavior health wasn't in the stigma, you know, not going deep in it, I don't think I would have been here, honestly. I think first sergeant wouldn't have been first sergeant. So I will say that if I can do it and it can help, it works. The program works, I'm, it works if you make it work. And any chain of command will support you. And if the chain of command is not supporting you, just go still. Figure out what happens after. If your chain command say don't go and the stigma, go seek help because at the end of the day, the army is going to come and go. Your life is important. And that's something that took me to understand that the wheel of the military will keep spinning 
I got to jump off and take time for myself. So, yes, that's that's it. You know, like, like today, we've been discussing mental health. And bottom line up front is the second calorie regiment. It's not a stranger to mental health-related tragedies. And it impacts every member of the community here. And just as somebody who's themselves benefited by seeking help from a bunch of the different behavioral health and mental health resources here, I, I can say it's there. I can say that it works. And the discussion we've had today has certainly demonstrated that and reinforced that belief. As a non-commissioned officer, even a relatively new one, I've done everything I can to encourage my soldiers to fight for their right to treatment. And I just hope that with today's episode, anybody who's listening, that that encouragement's been extended to them. All three of you have been incredible, and I know we've only scratched the surface of this topic, but I, I think a lot's been said today that people needed to hear, and not just because it's something that you know the Army wants put out or it's some sort of party line. I think this has been a lot of really good, honest, and truly helpful input. And when we had this, this podcast set up today, I mean, I definitely had high expectations, but I, I'm, truly, I'm truly grateful to all three of you for sharing everything that you have today. And I just, I wish we had more time to share more. I'm just grateful for 2CR providing this opportunity. It shows what's being done on the unit level to continue to, to reduce the stigma and to uh, normalize behavioral health treatment. So on the way over here so that I would have some talking points, I was listening to the Army Chief of Chaplains talk about a a theme that he really wanted to highlight, which is that we talk about living lives worth living um, because the topic of suicide can be so negative. But this conversation has been nothing but positive and exploring the, the options, looking at it realistically, but also looking at the options and the opportunities that are available. And, and I hope maybe at some point in the future, we can all get back together and, and talk about how to live a life worth living. Anything to say for a I just hope who, if a soldier is listening out there, go seek help. And again, don't worry about your chain of command. They'll figure it out. Honestly, they'll figure it out. Appreciate it for a song. Well, it's been my pleasure to be your host, Sergeant Mark Bruno from 2-2 Headhunter Troop. And this has been this week's episode of Kill Tank Radio.